it still doesn't even sink in. And you can show them verse after verse after verse after verse about this God dealing with this group of people and specifically targeting this group of people throughout the whole biblical record. But the church world wants so much to make God the universal God of the world um, that they can't let go of that for, for the actual written word. And his, his being the creator of all is, in fact, accurate. But they can't accept the fact that he chose to deal with and work with a certain group of people in order to accomplish the objectives and his will in the creation. And you can, as I say, just this one book of Hosea that we're going through, time after time, verse after verse, chapter after chapter, you will see it is associated with those people called Israel, the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And there's no escaping it. So the reason the president is in India is because he's got the universal teaching. The universal teaching is, is we all serve the same God. Well, but as you said, why is he over there going into the Buddhist uh, temple? Well, because, you know, it, we all worship the same God is, is basically the universal uh, teaching, the universal tenement. Well, you know, Doug, it, it got me to thinking about like we said before, this stuff's not new. And so I went over in my Septuagint and looked at Samuel uh, 4.8. And it says, Whereupon all the chief men of Israel assembled. And I was curious what what they what would make a man the men the chief the men of Israel the chief. Who would the chief men of Israel be? And so when you look up the the history of the word, uh, most important, prominent, supreme, best placed above the rest. Uh, I mean, leader, guide, person, summit. Uh, these people in Washington, you could easily call them chiefs. Chief men of America. Absolutely. They assembled, and what did they do? They created a narrative. And they told Samuel, who was God's representative, you've gotten old. Your sons are not walking in the right way. Now, because of that, see, they introduced the crisis, didn't they? Now, here's the solution. Now, how could these have been godly men to come up with this solution? Uh, Give us an earthling to rule over us, like all the other sinners in the world. And it says Samuel was mad. He was, uh, this was evil in, in Samuel's eyes. 
and they just chanted, you know, change the government. This was a revolution. This was a complete overthrow of the government, wasn't it? Yeah. Give us a king. Give us a give us a non god to judge over us. That's what they're saying. Give us somebody besides God, because it ain't working. And the and then in spite of all that, you know, in spite of all that, God said, Okay, but you won't like it. That's kind of the way it is today, isn't it? You want health care? You want all free health care? Well, here it is. Didn't Obama pass it? Wasn't that what Obamacare is? Yep. Uh, It didn't turn out quite like the way they sold it, did it? And it didn't turn out that way for the Israelites either, did it? That king idea. And it actually caused, at the end of the day, a divorce from God. And a lot of hell to pay. All right, let me uh, give you something. Flip to Jeremiah 22, 15 to 17. And Jeremiah, you flip to Exodus 18, 21. And I will go to Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen. I'm at Deuteronomy sixteen nineteen, and this is what it says: Thou shalt not rest judgment; thou shalt not respect persons; neither take a gift for a gift to blind the eyes of the wise and perverts the words of the righteous. All right, so Russell posited a question here and says, I was reading in 1 Samuel 8 where they wanted a king and gave us a definition of a, of a prince or a leader or an elder um, and brought us to the scripture that says, then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel and said, Behold, thou art old and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. All right? So uh, verse 3 of that chapter 8 says, His sons walked not in his ways, but turned aside after lucre and took bribes. So tell me what Jeremiah that I directed you to says, Russell. It's 22 and what? 22, 15 to 17. It, it cut out on my... Did you say 42 right. or... T- Jeremiah 22, 15 to 17. Do you become and, a king because you are competing in cedar? Did not your father eat and drink and do justice and righteousness? Then it was well with him. Is that the scripture you wanted? Jeremiah twenty-two, fifteen to seventeen. He pled the the cause of the afflicted and the needy. That's what the king did. Then it was well. Is not that what it means to know me? Declares the Lord. But your eyes and your heart 
are intent only upon your own dishonest gain and on the shedding of innocent blood and on the practicing oppression and extortion. More? Yeah, what what verse did you end with? Uh, 17. Yep, 17. All right, so the reason that they brought us to that that's a cross-reference from 1 Samuel 8, chapter 3. It's the first one where it says, walk not in his ways, but turned aside. Um, and, of course, who are they talking about? They're talking about Abiah and, uh, uh, or excuse me, uh, about Samuel's sons. And uh, one of them was Joel, one of them was Abiah, and one of them was... Uh, was uh I guess it just has the two of them right here. And so he's telling them in Jeremiah twenty two, okay now wait a minute. Shall you reign because you close yourself in, in cedar? And he asks rhetorically, did not your father eat and drink and do judgment and justice and then it was well with him? Well who was the father? The father was Samuel. He judged the cause of the poor and the needy, and then it was well with him. Was this, um, was not this to know me, says the Lord? You see, if we know the Lord, he says that we are to judge the cause of the poor and the needy. Isn't that what, you're, what it says to you, Russell? And yeah. then my, he says, but, my, but thine eyes and thine heart are not but for your covetousness and to shed innocent blood and for oppression and for violence to do it. So didn't, did, didn't he just describe bait and switch? He, yeah, exactly. And, and isn't not, that and Bernie Sanders or any of them for that, that matter, but more so on Bernie, he just wants to help everybody, Doug on somebody else's nickel. Dishonest gain. And, and you know, the, the, the Democrats, they're always saying that, that the Republicans don't believe in science because of the, goal, uh, the planet warming. Right. And yet, and yet in the other breath, they'll deny that that's a baby in a sonogram. Well, that's not really a baby. So aren't they kind of denying science there? Russell, um, you're, you're overthinking it. I know. <laughs> uh, is that Rich there? Good evening. Yeah, good evening, guys. All right, Jeremiah, give us that last one. All right, it's eighteen twenty-one. That's correct. All right. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people. Oops, one second. Furthermore, you shall select out of all the people able men who fear God, men of truth, those who hate dishonest gain, and you shall place these over them as leaders of thousands, of hundreds, and of fifties, and of tens. So when you ask the question, Russell, you know, 
what were these leaders supposed to do when they were faced with the crisis? And what did they do? Well, when faced with the crisis, they went out and, and ordered up themselves a king in clear violation of the command. So if one says, thou shalt not eat of the fruit of this tree, then that doesn't really mean what it says because when someone else comes along and says, well, you can surely eat. You're not going to die. Well, okay, so let me just, let's, let's just test that theory. So upon the test of the theory, well, by gosh, we didn't die. <laughs> and so Shazam, we, we've, got, we've got a new directive. There is, a, there is a new order to the ages. There is a new order in town. There's a new rule. There's a new lawgiver, whatever you want to call it. So my scripture that I was supposed to read was we're in First uh, Samuel chapter eight. Uh, Russell went back to visit an old, an old uh, and true uh, story, and on that verse three about his sons walking out in his ways, I've got three scriptures cross-referenced. Uh, Russell read one. Jeremiah read one. And now I'm going to read, uh, actually, Jeremiah, there's another one you could read, which or Rich could probably pull it up, 1 Timothy 3.3 3 and 6.10. But I'll go to Deuteronomy quick, 16.19. And Deuteronomy 16.19 says this, Thou shalt not rest judgment, thou shalt not respect persons, neither take a gift, for a gift does blind the eyes of the wise and pervert the words of the righteous. So what were they supposed to do in that situation when Samuel's sons were not walking in the ways of his father? Weren't they simply supposed to replace Samuel's sons with righteous leaders according to the command? Well, go back and look and see how they dealt with Eli's sons. They had an exact, exact same situation. And how did they handle that? Did did Samuel take over the reins? I mean, because Eli failed to do what he was told to do by God. Didn't God tell Eli to to deal with his sons, kill them, whatever. And he refused. And how did Samuel take power? I guess I better go over there and see. I believe that's a little earlier in First Samuel, correct? Yeah, uh, not too far off. Let's see here. They had to go uh, go to war and get their butts whipped first and lose the uh, uh, lose the, the the throne thing. 
Eli was old and he heard all that his sons were doing to all of Israel and how they lay with women who served at the doorway. That's horse. And he said to them, why do you do such things? The evil things that I hear from all these people. No, my sons, for the report is not good, which I hear from the Lord. Uh, but they would not listen to the voice of their father, fathers, for the Lord desired to put them to death. And then that introduces us to Samuel. And uh, in in First Samuel two, verse thirty, we read these words. Therefore, the Lord God of Israel declares, I did indeed say that your house and the house of your father should walk before me forever. But now the Lord declares, far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. So they're worthless. Isn't that what that means? Yeah. Uh, and then let's see where the transition took place. The Lord called Samuel, and uh, Eli explained to him what was going on, and let's see in chapter 4. Samuel was pretty much taken over. Well, not necessarily. Anyway, I thought it was interesting that the same thing happened with Eli and his kids, and Samuel was there. And all I could think of is you can train your children, but you can't you can't make them do righteous if they don't want to. Well, another interesting thing, however, uh, occurs there. You see, what would you say the economic conditions of the sons of both Eli and Samuel were? Very wealthy. I, I think of Hunter Biden. Yep. They were well fed and uh, not a thing was withholding from them, was there? Nothing. And the pride came before the fall. Yeah. And that's kind of what I meant when I was talking to you the other day. Because I look across America, and America still does not get it. They they see the fatness of the land. And in the fatness of the land, they still desire more. Not only do they desire more, they don't care how it comes. Therefore, they, they clamor and demand more. They, in fact, what that tells us about them is economically they are poor and oppressed, doesn't it? Yeah. And they don't care. They love Trump. They don't care if he probably... And proudly stands firm with the LGBTFATF. They don't care. They don't care. No. 
as long as we benefit financially. That's the bottom line. But you know, chapter 7, verse 8, the sons of Israel said to Samuel, fix it. That's a paraphrase. And he did. And verse 15, now Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. So there was the transition from, well, Eli fell off a log and broke his neck, I think, and his son perished in the in the war. And, and Samuel went to God and said, save us from the hands of our Philistines. And God listened to him. And so that's kind of what catapulted Samuel to the top in terms of leadership for Israel. Okay, and, his... and let's, let's think about that. Let's think yeah. about that because I think that's a very important and insightful scripture and it goes to the issue that I think that I'm trying to convey as well is that, you see, when they... Go to Samuel. Where were you? Um, where were you in six? Uh, um, we have Samuel seen... seven, seven, seven eight, verse eight. Yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. Eight. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, "Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines." All right. What does that sound like? In in today's modern uh, um, uh, sounds uh, like voting for a president to save you. Yeah, exactly. In today's correlation, I hear the same thing. I had a, a recent email exchange, and the email exchange was rather tenuous in that the emailer says specifically that they believe that God put Trump in office. And I said, I said, well, then why doesn't God put more people in office instead of just one man? And the retort to me was, well, haven't you seen what one man can, what God can do with one man? And I, yeah, I know what God can do with one man, but you're the one that said he was put there by, that Trump was put there by God. So let's follow the, the reasoning out. If God is willing to put somebody into a position of the leadership in this country as president, ostensibly for our good, well, certainly he must recognize that it would be far better if he gave us 20 or 30 senators in that same election and, and uh, 50 or so congressmen in the same election. And so I just asked the question to try to get somebody to think because I'm just asking the question, why then doesn't he go further in that? And so it wasn't, so as to anger somebody, but it was to try to make the, the party think a little bit deeper about what it is that they're saying. So I said, if in fact what we're saying is that we're glad that he at this time was you know, 
ready to run. Uh, he, at this time, uh, we felt like he was the best option available in order to potentially turn back the clock. I get all that. I don't have a problem with that. But we have to be careful about how we're saying what it is that we're saying, I think. And so I look at this scripture right here in, in 8, and I say, if the children of Israel, that is the Christians in America, come to, to, to Trump and we essentially say, cease not to cry unto the Lord for us, that he will save us out of the hands of the Bernie Sanders, the Hillary Clinton, the whomever, the whomever, the whomever. So the only answer that I have then is that we failed to ask Samuel to also uh, intervene for us in terms of the Senate, the House, and what about all those people behind the scenes? I posited the question out there too. I said, how does a health care bill, 2,500 pages long, get rolled out within days after an actual vote is cast? How long has this thing been in the wings? Who has been the one prepared it? I asked again this another question. I said, who do you think is writing it? Do you think there is one of those 550 uh, congresspersons that has the brain power to write a 2,500-page document? That's what I worry about. I worry about, about who these faceless, nameless people are who draft such a document that is written at a 25- and 30-year grade level, just like the Internal Revenue Code. That's a isn't, that, yeah, isn't that more onerous and more diabolical than the actual people out there casting the vote to pass the, 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 the legislation into law? I mean... You see what I'm saying? There's no critical thinking beyond the end of the the first step. And the first step was actually the last step. They'd already created the document. They'd already planned on how they were going to implement and, and ostensibly make it come to fruition and make uh -huh. it, quote, work. And the last, the last step in the scenario was passing the legislation. You, you following me? Yeah. Well, what about Obamacare? You have to what was that? You get to read it. And right. With that. Yeah, because Doug, uh, uh, Trump said today when asked about uh, something in the newspaper, I don't know if it was the virus or about it or one of the Democrats, he said, I, I'm busy running a country. I don't have time to read the paper. And so, you know, he's this busy. How does he know what's in any bill? He depends on somebody to interpret it for him. Well, yeah, and this isn't, not, this isn't just inimical to, to Trump. You know, this is, this is the situation you know, out there every single day. And, and, yeah. I, and my last question that I posited is, what are we going to do when Trump is gone? And that's why I look at this chapter, this verse right here, and I say, the children of Israel said to Samuel, cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistine. So 
who's going to be doing what it is that we need to have done for us when there's no longer Trump? We're going to look for somebody else, and it shows me in that scripture that the children of Israel expected Samuel to do what it seems to me we're now, what, uh, several hundred years beyond the Exodus, and um, or excuse me, beyond Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and and I'm sitting here going, you know, nobody knows how to call upon the name of the Lord. You know, nobody... That's a great point. That is a great point. They've abdicated their throne to one man. I mean, they should have been involved. Yeah, because they were involved, because that scripture that Jeremiah read and the scripture that I read in Deuteronomy says that they're supposed to be involved. Mm-hmm. And so then something was said about writing, you know, letters and, and yeah, you know, Rush, you know, for 30, you know, 30 years, why wasn't he teaching us how to write letters? And I'm like, what? Do you need to be taught how to write a letter from a, a guy on the radio? And so once again, once again, that's why this scripture popped out at me, and I'm really thankful that we read through it tonight because it helped me once again to recognize that it's not so much everybody else, the, the vast majority, I guess, are always waiting on somebody else to do something, and it's far better if somebody else does something than you do it. And it's just like these fellowships. You know, you get together because you're trying to become one with your creator and with your redeemer. You're trying to walk with him. You're trying to talk with him. You're trying to, to be about your father's business. You're trying to be about the will of the father. And we have limitations in what we can do. We do what we do by continuing to read and study and share, but we also try to share this with other people out there. And when we can't even share what needs to be shared, that they have a duty and a responsibility to do this, we would have revival. You know, that's one of the things about this book of Hosea. The conclusion, one of the concluding factors about the book of Hosea is when you come to the conclusion that says, hey, not only do all of that prophecy that Hosea relates in the record, it pertains to those people Israel. And when you are cross-referencing the scriptures, we get to that scripture in Acts 2.39. We all know what 2.38 is, but in Acts 2.39, actually, maybe I've got that wrong, um, but Peter says, I'll have to try to flip over there while I'm talking, Peter says to them, I think it was Peter, he says, you know, let me just try to get there. Um, Yeah, 2.39, for the promises unto you and your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord God shall call. So, when in, in uh, let's see, where does Peter, uh, day of Pentecost, um, yeah, you men of Israel, 
Um, I want to get to. Oh, let's just do it. Let's just do it. You men of Israel, Acts chapter 2, verse 21, <clears throat> uh, 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did by him in the midst of you, as you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain, whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should behold of it. For David speaks concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face, for he is on my right hand, that I should not be moved. Therefore, did my heart rejoice, my tongue was glad, moreover also my flesh shall rest in hope, because thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Thou hast made known to me the ways of thy life, thou shalt make me full of joy with thy countenance. Men and brethren, let me freely speak unto you of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his sepulcher is with us this day. Therefore, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, spake of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, which is the grave, Gehenna, neither his flesh did seek corruption, this Jesus has God raised up, whereof we are all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has showed forth this, which you now see and hear. For David is not ascended into the heavens, but he said unto himself, but he said himself, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thy foes thy footstool. Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this same Jesus whom you have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in the heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said unto them, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For the promise is unto you, to your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. <clears throat> and so right here, we have the evidence where 3,000 people were baptized and, and received this message. This message of who? Of what? This message that the God of Jacob Israel had come and laid down his life and raised it back up again, that the promise made unto them and to their children and to all that are far off are done in accordance with the will. And so I say to our brethren here today and stuff is that if we cannot see this and we do not understand this, how can we know the very word that Peter also said 
to those there then and realized how wrong they were and how much they had need of repentance. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so you try to share this, this understanding, this valuable biblical truth, that they are the children of the promise, the children of the inheritance, and they do not seek to receive it, they do not care to receive it, they do not seem interested in it, um, because they have been so convinced and told by the clergy that it simply doesn't matter. And I sit here and I say, how can it not matter? Your whole existence depends on it. Where am I going wrong? Uh, I don't think you have them. I got a question. This Shoot. whole thing about Samuel and his two sons. How come Samuel didn't know what was going on? Here his sons are in like the most important positions in Israel. And here they are ripping everybody off and whoring out in the front of the the, uh, the temple, and he didn't know about it? Yeah, just like Eli. I mean, Eli's even, it, it's almost even more of an egregious case. I, I think about it. I think he knew about it and turned the other cheek or looked the other way. It cost him his son's death, didn't it? Oh, yeah. But give us a king. Just give us a president that will relieve uh, our our boils and our, our burnings and just, just give it to so, us. So what you're saying is that king takes the responsibility off of each individual. Right? That's no, I... They're asserting, no. they're asserting that we have no power. The power's in you, Samuel. When when you read what you just read over there in Acts, we do have power once we repent. And, yes. And seek the Lord. I mean, there's where our power comes from is Humility and humility and acknowledging who the who the king is, the king. Right. Rather than those sons repenting and being chastised by the fathers, they did not do that. And likewise, the people who were given the law and told who to appoint over them were under no obligation to stand there and allow this behavior to go on. You know, it reminds me of Germany. Germany had the worst cesspool. What was the was that? Uh, oh, Ber- Berlin. 
Berlin had become a debauched center of vice. I'll just suffice that to say. And nobody wants to acknowledge this because it's not politically correct, and it certainly does not fit the narrative for the quote-unquote Jews of today. So it can't be mentioned. One of the first things that he did upon being brought into power was he took Berlin and completely booted all of it out. They were loading up on planes, trains, buses, and whatever, and the books and the lascivious whatnot of the city was burned in the city square. But we couldn't have anyone in America knowing that that's what happened, could we? No. No, we could not have that that out. So that would be like President Trump going into Las Vegas or going into San Francisco or going into New York or going into any one of these, or New Orleans or any one of these centers of vice in America and or burning about, down. Yeah, or, or how about this basketball player that they put up on an idol that raped a 19-year-old girl, admitted he raped her, and said, I guess I better call my attorney. And when asked about that, the people that brought it up were vilified and and one of his friends said, I couldn't see him doing that, therefore it didn't happen. This Kobe guy that got crashed in a helicopter. Last time I checked, rape is a major, major crime. You have to ask yeah. Harvey Weinstein about that. Yeah. Here's Harvey, Mr. Me Too, and he gets nothing. He'll be off in six months. You watch. Six years yeah, he might be I don't know. He he walked into a hospital, as I understood, sometime in the last 24 hours. He may yeah, not make it out. Epstein. Huh? He might pull an Epstein. That seems to be the Jewish exit. Yeah. yeah. Well, I still think he's hiding out somewhere. It's possible, so whatever. Because those cameras just tend to break down whenever they're supposed to do their job. Yep. Well. Made in China. Uh, I think you, you went over some pretty important points there, Doug. And... And it's all about self-responsibility. And it starts at the house, doesn't it? Yeah, you know, and, and, and that's a dirty little secret. You know, I defy the email exchange that I had to 
to show me the church in America that is crying out, repent, let everyone be baptized, know you that this promise was made to you and to your children after you. In fact, one of the scriptures that I was going to go to here in Hosea tonight is in, uh, I believe, Deuteronomy 29. I'm not in my notes completely here, but uh, it won't hurt for me to do it because probably what I'll wind up doing is either we do this message next week. Um, um, Let's see, is it Deuteronomy 29 or Deuteronomy... 30. Uh, I've got 29. Um, it seems to me I recall 14 in my head. I'm looking for it yet. Go to 29.14 and tell me what it says. Now, so I, not, now, now, not with you alone, I am making this covenant and this oath. All right, all right. I had the scripture right in my head. That is exactly it, spot on. Now, this is something that I have to admit that I missed, but doing this study on Hosea, this expository study on this actual prophet here, um, I have been most encouraged and most, uh, um, you know, um, go ahead and read it, Russell. But both with those who stand here with us today in the presence of the Lord our God and with those who are not with us here today. For you know how we lived in the land of Egypt and how we came through the midst of the nations through which you passed. Moreover, All right, let's, just, let's stop there. Let's stop because the key scripture is right here in 14 and 15. I did not catch this before, but now I have a greater and stronger respect and understanding for this curse. It says, neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath. All right, so what's going on? For context, Israel uh, in uh, Deuteronomy uh, 29.10 uh, you stand here this day, all of you, before the Lord your God, captains of your tribes, your elders, your officers, and all the men of Israel, your little ones, your wives, and the stranger that is in your camp, from the hewer of wood to the drawer of water. Thou should enter into this covenant with the Lord thy God and into this oath which the Lord thy God has made with thee this day, that he may establish thee today for a people unto himself and that he may be a, unto thee a God, as he has said unto thee, and as he has sworn unto thy fathers, Abram, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, so there's the context. <clears throat> so he is saying, he is speaking, and he's saying, neither with you only do I make this covenant and this oath. So let's stop there. Let's stop there, because I never caught this before, but he says, Neither with you only do I make this covenant. Well, that means that he's making this covenant with somebody besides those who are there only, right? It's not real hard to understand, is it? Verse 15, but with him that stands here with us this day before the Lord our God, 
and also with him that is not here with us this day. Wow. He's talking about us. He's talking about us. And in fact, when you go to that scripture right there, it cross-references you to, uh, give me a second here. Uh, I've got to find it. And it cross-references to, guess where? Acts 2.39, which we were just in. And what did Acts 2.39 say? It is Peter, and he's saying, you people of Israel, men of Israel, that have just crucified your Redeemer, the promise is unto you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. Now, I ask, would our people not repent in the same veracity they did in the days of the Acts of the Apostles, knowing what it is that they are commissioned to do and the promise that was made unto them. But no, they are not told this. They are not told this. They are told that promise is to somebody else. You're just grafted in. But even the grafted in, think about it. As a grafted in, it's like, oh, well, thank God I'm grafted in. Yep. You know what I mean? Being grafted in is not quite as important and impressive as being selected and chosen for the mission, is it? No. If you were to receive an inheritance and you were written into the inheritance, that would be pretty important. But if you were just grafted into the inheritance to receive a hundred bucks, that's kind of, oh well, oh hum. You know what I mean? Yep. And I think that's the way this is looked at because they do not know. But I think in the days of Acts of the Apostles and Peter's words here, I think it was very, it was truly brought home. It was because he preached it. It was because he said who they were and who that promise was and what they had done to the Redeemer, the Messiah. Well, what you've described is how the revolution took place in America. They started in the pulpit, didn't they? Yeah. And Pastor Peters was very aware of that. And so there's where you start bending the mind. Before Judgment. Long, Judgment starts at the house of the Lord. In the days of Samuel and Eli, where did the judgment begin? It began in the house of Eli, and it began in the house of Samuel. 
And so if all we're going to do is just thank God that he, you know, he raised up a Gideon or a Samuel or a Trump for the time that we're in, is that the answer? The biblical record doesn't even convey that. Does it? But if you want God to intervene all the time, he will at some point intervene. And when he chooses to intervene, it may not be as pretty as you once thought. Because he's going to say to those, depart from me. But Lord, wait a minute. We preached in your name. We called upon you. We had sweet fellowship with you. And he's going to say, depart from me. I never knew you. You which work iniquity or lawlessness. You know, Doug, I had a guy tell me that exact thing that you were talking about this week. He said, God puts, it's very clear that the scripture says God puts all kings in charge of And I, I thought to myself, well, he's the creator of good and evil. So, like you said, there must be a reason for evil dictators put in these positions. And, and it would have to fall back onto the, to the crimes of the people. You know, those that say that God has put Trump here. I I don't mean to drive contention if I can just be understood in what I'm saying. What I am saying is that does God know everything? Does he know what you're going to do and I'm going to do and decisions you're going to make and I'm going to make? Does he know those? Yes. Does he know the decisions we are making as a nation? Does he know our situation? Absolutely. But to attribute to him, when we have erected a constitution with the power to elect our elected leaders, to say that God installed that leader is almost, in my mind, blasphemy. I may be wrong. I'm willing to be wrong. But the reason I say that is because I get and I understand that I can be euphoric about the fact that it would be a man that could potentially help us in this hour of need. I don't have any problem with that. And I recognize the potential for intervention by the hand of God in that. So maybe we're saying the same thing. And maybe I'm just looking at it as if, wait a minute. I thought we were under this government here that, you know, we elect. And the more I think about it, I think with all the vote fraud, it probably is more um, accurate to say that he did uh, 
get him elected or made that election possible because with all the vote fraud, it's hard to see how we could have possibly wound up successful on it. So um, it's probably even more accurate to say that he, what was that, Rich? Well, he put in David, right? That was perfect. Right. He, he installed them on the phones. and uh, So, I mean, I don't see what's different today. Yeah. I think he gave us one more chance. You know, I have a lot of problems with Trump myself, but for God, if we had Hillary in there, that would have been the ultimate punishment. There might not be any coming back from the country. Well, see, that's what I've I've heard so many times. It's better than Hillary. Well, wouldn't that make wouldn't that make the purpose of Hillary to be this awful creature to force us to vote for this other thing that's not near as bad but still bad? Well, he he gave us a choice, didn't he, this time? I don't know. But he, things could be a little bit different this time around if he... Uh, if he's got the shackles off and he doesn't have to worry about being reelected, he's got four years of going full steam ahead. He could surprise us. Well, I think he's already surprised me many times. Um, but well, he's pro Second Amendment, which is that's the balance of power in the country. Is the Second Amendment. And he's pro-life, so he's in their face all the time on pro-life, which we haven't seen that happen. I can't remember another president that was anywhere near as pro-life as him. The other one's just all bent over to the to the uh, Planned Parenthood crowd. But, I mean, he's got a couple of bright spots. What, what, what price does he pay for saying he's pro-life? Well, the Democrats hate his guts for it. The bail priests hate his guts. But but uh, haven't they always hated him since the night he congratulated Hillary on on all of her wonderful work she's done for the United States of America? You remember that? No, I don't. Yeah, he said it less than five minutes after he she conceded. Uh. And three days earlier, he said, you'll be in jail if I'm president. So you That's can't probably have why the Democrats have been going after him nonstop to impeach him. And because there's a, quite a few stopped. of them that go to jail. Well, I come back to the, again, I come back to the question, which is, which is facing America and is facing God's people all over the world in all of these nations. They're all up against the same situation. Um, For us to say God has done this and has put this person in, the question I ask is, what is going to be the end result of that? 
if if that's what we believe, we're we're still expecting somebody else to take care of the mess. And if God says judgment begins at the house of the Lord, I don't see how it can begin at the house of the political arena. You you see what I mean, Rich? I don't, I don't see. I can't understand how either. Yeah. God's got to have a plan. He hadn't given up on the country yet, I guess. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I know. And and that's the hope that, that I cling to, too, because even like we never got to there in Samuel, but in Samuel, I've repeated it so many times, you know, and I used it in this email exchange as well. Let's just flip over to First Samuel uh, eight or twelve or wherever that is, and uh, you know, let's see. Um, I think that's uh, Israel demands a king. The last and- election when he got in, I gotta believe that there were millions and millions of Christians praying to God, oh, no, don't put her in, give us a, give us something. And I think I think there was a, a lot of prayers going up to God for mercy that we wouldn't get Jezebel. And I think he answered prayer. I mean, he didn't give us anybody perfect because there isn't any one who's perfect, but, I mean, he sure gave us a lot better than what we deserve. Yeah, you know, and see, that's that's never my contention. My contention is never that the man is imperfect or anything. My contention always centers around us and the remainder of the people and, and, and our attitudes and our perceptions, you know. And I don't mean us specifically. I mean as a whole in general. And I think that's what we're discussing tonight is that, you know, the people clamor for this but then there there is nothing left. You see what I mean? There, there is no knowledge of the law of the Lord in this country. There is no knowledge of it. So it's been written on their hearts, and so there's this yearning. They know that something is wrong. They know they're in desperate straits, and at least it's only those hearts who still have hearts with God, but so my point is, is that in all of this, there has to be a changed condition in the people, and I don't look to one man to solve it. I, I, and one of the things that I've, I, I've been saying is that I believe this thing that we learn in the scriptures about telling the people who they are and having them understand who they are, that was a pivotal point that Peter laid out. Once they understood that, there was a wholesale repentance and a coming to the message. And they were willing to sacrifice their goods and everything for the whole of of the community at large that community being that Christian community, that community that was seeking to be in harmony with the will and with the word. 
And so we don't have that here in America. As I was talking to Russell, you know, I said, it looks to me, I've been thinking a lot about the possibility that we're up against the pride comes before the fall. Because look at the slogan, make America great again. I understand it. I get it. But then I sit there and I recognize from the whole record of humanity that here we are wanting to make ourselves great again, but we are not coming back to the Lord where the greatness came from in the beginning. And that's something that we learn in Hosea too. He, you know, as well, he says, you know, they did not know where the flagons of wine and where the good food came from. It came from me, he says. You know, and this is where we're at. We're at this, this point where the, the preachers of the land need to tell the truth. And this constant, in fact, one of the things that, of the closing remarks for this particular part of the study into Hosea that I had, had ready was you can read through the commentaries and you can watch them change what is clear and unequivocal in Hosea pertaining to the very biblical people called the house of Israel and the house of Judah. And you can see it in the commentaries where they change it into a spiritual connotation, taking it right away from the people and leaving them empty and void. And I mean that, literally empty and void. Because it does. It has nothing that it can do but leave them empty and void. But when you convey to them that they are Israel and they have a great commission to fulfill in the world, not by force, not by you know great world powers and world conquest, but by the righteousness of Christ that dwells in us and emanates from us, so much so that everybody wants to emulate it. And yet, here we are with blood all over the land and the people don't know who they are and their responsibility and duty and the church won't tell them. The church is so afraid of the enemies of Christ themselves that they will not speak it. We need a trip down to the River Kidron. Got to cleanse the churches of the Baal priests. That's our problem. Is that you're not going to get any truth out of them. Yeah. They're not going to tell the people who they are. Well, guys. Huh? All right. We got to get ready to sign off here. Well, let's pray for our nation. Heavenly Father. Two or more are gathered here in your name, and we thank you for that. Father, we pray for your people throughout this land of America. We pray for your people all over the world, all over your creation, where you've placed them and 
where you've nurtured them in the wilderness, the care and the cover that you've given them, the clothing and the wine and all the good things, and yet they forget you. Father, I pray for a revival in the churches to no longer fear the enemies of Christ, the enemies that have misled and deceived and lied to the people. Amen. Let them, let them no longer fear them. Let them stand up boldly and proclaim who they are as Israelites, who they are as the people of God. Let them awaken to their identity. And Father, let the judgment in the house of the Lord begin. Let us find repentance and the grace that you offer us in that repentance. I pray that your people come and repent daily. We repent. I repent. I repent of the sins of the fathers. I repent of my sins. I repent of the sins of the people of the nation. And I come before you and say, Father, hear our prayer, hear our cries. Let, it, let our enemies not gloat over us in our situation, but let them know that you are the Lord, not for us, Father, but for your name's sake, that your name once again be magnified and glorified in the land. In all of creation, I ask this in the blessed holy name of your Son, Amen. 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 All right, brethren. Good chatting with you. Good fellowshipping with you. You all have a good week. All right, good night.